Warning, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, contains adult content. Harry and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics, and so shall we. For more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and the entire podcast, so please proceed with extreme caution. Are you afraid? Bosch asked. Afraid of what, detective? Everything. Of me. Yourself. That it won't hold together. That I might be wrong. Everything, man. Aren't you afraid of everything? The only thing I fear are people without a conscience. Who act without thinking their actions through. I don't think you're like that. Bosch shook his head. So, let's get down to it, detective. I have to rejoin the chief, and I see the mayor has arrived. What is it that you want? Provide it? It's within my authority to provide. I don't want anything from you, Bosch said very quietly. That's what you just don't seem to get. Irvin finally turned around to face him again. You're right, Bosch. I really don't understand you. Why risk everything? For nothing. You see, it raises my concerns about you all over again. You don't play for the team. You play for yourself. Hello, and welcome to the Thin Blue Lion Podcast. Harry Bosch. I'm Philip Parker, a retired police detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to rate us five stars or better. Please follow us on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod or our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are set up just for our fans. Also, join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content, where you'll find more detailed experience concerning Harry Bosch and Michael Conley. Now all that bullshit's out the way, it's time to get back to work and probe deep into chapters 33 through 34 of The Black Ice. Last time on the Thin Blue Lion podcast, Harry Bosch, we explored how life can only be understood backwards, but must be lived forwards. Shape chapters 29 through 32 of The Black Ice. Today, we will continue our deep dive into chapters 33 through 34. As always, there's the prerequisite spoiler alert. It's my intention to stay away from spoilers, but sometimes shit happens, so please proceed with extreme caution. And now, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. Let's open up the murder book and turn the page to the chronological record so that we can do an investigative summary of the information gathered thus far in this chapter. Harry arrives at the funeral for Kalesico Moore. There, 
He meets with Teresa and discuss the findings concerning the fingerprint comparison. Teresa also tells Bosch that she had a conversation with Chief Irving and they worked out an unofficial agreement concerning more. Seeing Harry, Chief Irving approaches him and proceeds to ask him what happened in Mexico. Harry assures the chief that Moore is not coming back. Also during this conversation, Harry lays out his theory concerning Moore's investigation. Chief Irving asks Harry what does he want for his silence concerning this incident. Harry tells the chief that he doesn't want anything from him. After the funeral, Harry is approached by Sylvia, and during their conversation, Sylvia admits that she suspected that Kalexco wasn't the person being buried. Sylvia asks Harry that someday she hopes that he would tell her the whole story concerning Calexico and Mexico. Harry responds by saying someday he hopes that Sylvia would explain why she hadn't told him about the missing photo from the picture frame. Sylvia also asks Harry for confirmation if Calexico would ever return. Harry slowly shakes his head no. Sylvia accepts Harry's invitation to see Frank Morgan playing at the Catalina. Before leaving, Sylvia and Harry kiss for a long time, not caring who's watching. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's lift up the yellow tape and examine the clues. For the defining theme for chapters 33 through 34 is... Selflessness, humility, truthfulness are the three marks of an honorable man. Hello, and welcome back to the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. And you know, we begin this last, wow, the last episode of the podcast concerning the black ice. Wow. Okay. I'm sorry. I just had to take a moment there. And so we begin this episode looking at, again, Michael is just such a great writer. He really develops and sucks you in to Harry Bosch. Again, from the book, the very first paragraph of chapter 33, Bosch didn't feel whole again until he reached the small outskirts of L.A. He was back in the nasty again, but he knew in it is where he would heal. I, uh, I understand what he mean by being back in the nasty, and at least I'm interpreting it. He's, being, he's coming back to what he knows, one, and all that nastiness and fighting that nasty, and I wouldn't call it righteousness. Stomping out the bad guy is what's going to make him heal from all that bullshit that just happened in Mexico. And that's how I interpret it. But that's kind of sad. You know, think about that. He needs to immerse himself in the nasty to heal himself, to to make himself feel better. Or as he said, that's how in the nasty is how he knew he would heal. That's a, that's kind of it's very sad, very telling, but extremely well written, coming from a just a beat detective. But 
I, I love it. It was great to me. You know, one of the things that, again, I, again, I, I keep saying it because that's why I'm doing this podcast. And Michael describes a police funeral. And again, from the book, there must have been at least 200 uh, motorcycles, Bosch guessed. The best day to run a red light, break the speed limit, or make an illegal U-turn in the city is doing a cop's funeral. No one was left minding the store, which is true. And, you know, matter of fact, again, you give you a little bit inside information. Usually, say, in, in the line of death was of a patrol officer of a particular precinct or something like that. And the funeral, normally, they would ask for volunteers from other districts or specialized units to backfill so that the other or his comrades or the people who were really close to this officer, uh, they could attend the funeral um, activities. Then they would ask for volunteers to backfill. But he's absolutely, he's absolutely right, because most of the time, those backfill people, uh, I did it one or two times. And yeah, you know. Especially after I became a detective, it was one of those things. Look, just as long as you don't rob a bank in front of me, do what you got to do, brother. <laughs> and I said it before, and it it, it bears repeating. I think Michael, I'm going to ask if I ever get the opportunity to uh, interview him or talk to him or somehow communicate with him. I want to know if he has some pseudonym writing because he talks about how Harry cannot take his eyes off of Sylvia. And just the way he is, he is in Harry watched, you know, her hair, the Borek, you know, was, could, didn't keep the hair in place and all those things about Sylvia. Uh, again, our brother, Michael, he's a poet at heart. And I think he has some um, aspirations to be a romantic uh, novelist. And so then we have uh, Teresa approaches Harry and they discuss the fingerprint comparison. And she confirmed that the person being buried, which again, Harry didn't need it because he already met more, but the person being buried was not more. And so then uh, she informed um, Harry that she had a conversation with assistant uh, chief Irving and Irving and her came to this agreement and what it would cause for her silence would be his recommendation that she would get the permanent medical examiner uh, job. And I think what it was interesting that I picked up on was the fact that Irving had volunteered this recommendation for Teresa. And I'm going, I'm yelling, it's a trap. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't see that she thinks he, he has her. But in a sense, again, Irving's not the type of guy who's going to come off as being weak. And I think that was a really strong move on Irving's part to not let her make an offer. He's going to give her something then she's going to take it again. That's, that's, that's a very powerful move that we see Irving, even in, when you think you have him, he has no problem pushing back on you to say, yeah, you might have me, but I'm going to still flex up a little bit. And, you know, we see, you know, Harry says something in this particular interaction with um, Teresa. He says, I hope you enjoy, I hope you enjoy the job, Teresa. You're in the belly of the beast now. And then, you know, Teresa comes back over top and says, you know, Harry, hey, I still want to just keep things on a professional basis. I appreciate what you did for me today, but, you know, let's keep things at a distance. And then she finishes before a while. <laughs> but, you know, again, and I like this, at least I interpreted this portion of the book 
of Michael showing us, the reader, that women are just as ambitious as men, as calculating as men, and will deploy resources to achieve a certain higher goal. Because listen to what she's did. She told Harry, look, let's keep it things at arm distance, at least for now. Because again, as chief medical examiner, she doesn't want to shut that door with Harry. Because as chief of medical examiner, you're going to need this, this uh, solo player, this freewheeling player of like Harry Bosch is to be a friend of yours. So again, she's not shutting any doors um, because you never know if, you know, being a chief medical examiner, are you going to need somebody like Harry Bosch in the future? A cop funeral was going on. Nice sunny day. And we now confirm that Teresa has told Chief Irving that the person being buried is not Calexico Moore. And she also inferred, and he knows, that Bosch gave her that information. So, <laughs> but listen, look, look how cool and calm Chief, uh, and you got to respect Chief Irving, the way he flexes, again, from the book. Irving then saw Bosch, broke away, and started walking towards him. He seemed to be taking in the vista of the mountains as he walked. He didn't look at Bosch until he was next to him under the oak tree. Now, <laughs> I don't know. I guess that's why I was never chief. But me, if I saw Bosch, now remember the last time him and Bosch had, had talked to each other, he had ordered Bosch to be in his office by 8 o'clock yesterday. And Bosch said he couldn't do that. And he pretty much even threatened him, you know, what you had, what you thought you had won't be waiting for you when you get back. So he sees Bosch, and he gingerly walks up, taking, taking in the view of the mountains. <laughs> Me, I'd probably run up there and say, what the hell are you doing? Where you been? But no, that's why, again, he's the junkyard dog. He's good at what he does. And you got to respect his skills. And so then you see this cat and mouse, this, well, you know, it's not cat and mouse. That's, that's too easy. That's too, you know, too cliche. And so then you see this fight of skills between Irving and Bosch. So I, I, I used to love boxing. But so you have in one corner, you have the Muhammad Ali float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, Harry Bosch. And in the other corner, you have this big bruiser, heavyweight, George Foreman. Now, for those who don't know who George Foreman was, George Foreman at one time was the heavyweight champion of the world. And in his prime, George Foreman, when he hit, well, hell, even when he retired and came back, one of George Foreman attributes was when he hit you, you felt it for a week. <laughs> so and that's how I envision Irving here. So in one corner, I got Muhammad Ali in the other corner. I have Irving. So let's, let's keep that in this, in this portion of the book. Let's, let's keep that metaphor going. And so here's the opening salvo. It came from chief Irving from the book. Detective, Chief, when did you get in? Just now. Could use a shave. Yeah, I know. So, what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> Again, let's just back up a little bit. Just rewind just a little bit. 
he knows that Bosch knows that the person being buried is not Calexico more. But he's not going to give it to Bosch just yet. You know, he's sitting there waiting to see where the jab is going to come from, how Muhammad Ali is going to get to him. He's, is he rope doping Is he dancing on his toes? What's going on? Again, Irving. You know, detective, yesterday when you didn't come see me in my office, I opened up at 1.81 on you. And we all know what that is. It's the beginning of a disciplinary inquiry. Again, so Irving, here we go. Here's our metaphor, George Foreman. So, uh, you spoke to the acting medical examiner this morning, Muhammad Ali, you know, Bosch. He thought this time he held all the high cards. Yeah. I wanted her to compare some prints. <laughs> Again, Irving, calm, cool. What happened down in Mexico to make you want her to do that? And then, okay, so again, look at the boxing metaphor. Both of these guys, you know, Irving's trying his best to hit the Bosch with some body shots. Irving's just, I mean, uh, Bosch is rope doping in the corner, got his hands up. And he goes, uh, nothing I care to talk about, Chief. <laughs> this, this is what I love about Michael Conley and his writing. From an investigator, just a grunt detective like I used to be, being able to push back on management, to do it over and over again, is one of the attributes that I love about Michael Connolly and the character he created with Harry Bosch. Because it is possible. It comes at a lot of risks, but it is possible. And so then when you have these titans going at one another, I had to pause and, and just say, did you guys feel sorry for Lieutenant Pounds right here? Because, again, from the book, we got company. Irving turned around and looked back towards the gathering. Lieutenant Harvey Pounds, also in dress uniform, was walking towards them. Probably wanted to know how many cases he could close from Bosch's investigation. But Irving held up a hand like a traffic cop and Pounds abruptly stopped and turned and walked away. I mean, that's rough. Because think about it. Here's the chief having a conversation with one Lieutenant Pound's subordinate. And Lieutenant Pounds is not available, not privy to the conversation. Ah, Boy, again, that's how the chief flexes. He, as my brother said, you know, in the first Black Echo, he's the junkyard dog. And the junkyard dog that has no cut cards. Because that, that's what he is. He is the junkyard dog. So then we have a line in the book. Well, you know, there's tons of, there's millions, millions of them, so I'm not going to just point one or two of them. Out. But again, this passage in the book that's so cool, because Irving is, is openly admitting he has reservations like, look, Bosh, cut the bullshit. Do I have to walk down this hill and stop this funeral or not? Lay it on me. What's going on? What happened? And then Bosch comes back. Look, man, I'm telling you, forget about it. Understand? I'm trying to help you out here. Irving studied him for a long moment. He shifted his weight to the other foot. The veins on his scalp pulse with new life. Bosch knew it wouldn't sit well with him to have someone like Harry Bosch keep such a secret. And so then Bosch comes again and says, they're never going to find the man they're looking for, chief. And then Irving says, convince me, Bosch. 
Boss says, uh-uh, can't do that. She says, so why not? Trust goes two ways. So does lack of trust. Touche. <laughs> you know, touche, motherfucker. <laughs> it's true. In our line of work, you want me to trust you, you're going to have to trust me. If you don't trust me, I don't trust you. So then the chief seemed to consider this, and Bosch noticed an almost imperceptible nod. You know, okay, you're right, and I'm going to trust you. Again, but Irving, Irving, always a power mover, has some serious power plays. And now here, here's a, another power play I love between the interaction between those two. Again, from the book. Irvin brushed some imaginary impurity off his shoulder of his uniform. It couldn't be hair or dandruff, since he had neither. He turned away from Bosch and faced a coffin and the thick gathering of officers around it. The ceremony was about to begin. He squared his shoulders, and without turning back, he said, I don't know what to think, Bosch. I don't know whether you have me or not. Again, to be the junkyard dog, you still got to act like a junkyard dog. And so... Even he just finished following up, just finished admitting to Harry, he didn't know if Harry had him or not. He then just came back over the top and said, just remember, you have just as much to lose as the department. More. The department can always come back, always recover. It might take a good long time, but it always comes back. The same can't be said for an individual who gets tarred with a brush of scandal. (laughs) So Irvin's like, you you got me by the short hairs, but... If something comes down, you're going to go down also. I'll personally see to it. So I gave my metaphor about the boxers and Harry in one corner and Irving in the other corner. So the fight was a draw. And so they're supposed to go to their corners. But even though it was a draw, I like the next passage again from the book. So let's get down to it, detective. I have to rejoin the chief, and I see the mayor has arrived. What is it that you want? Provide us within my authority to provide. And then Harry says, I wouldn't take anything from you. That's what you don't seem to get. Now, I'm going to go into more depth with that later on in the podcast, so I'm going to move on. But also, let's not forget that Chief Irving, even though right now in the books we really don't get, his background, but you don't become deputy chief without be first becoming, as we saw, he was IED chief. And then before IED chief, I'm pretty sure he was a captain and before a captain, lieutenant and down on the sergeant. So he's, he's not stupid. And he's trying to, he's probing. He's still boxing. He hasn't given up. He's probing Harry to see if he can get some type of leverage over him because he knows that that was a veiled threat about scandal and, uh, you know, tarnish and all that kind of bullshit. He knows Harry doesn't care about that. He's probing to see if he can find something else that he can grasp on to hold over Harry's head. And from the book, he watched as Irving's eyes lit on something and he nodded knowingly. He looked back at Sylvia and then returned his gaze to Bosch. A noble man. Is that it? All this to ensure a widow's pension? And this is when Harry takes the opportunity. And starts telling the story. And pretty much he says, you know she has nothing to do with the chief, just like, like I know. And then Aaron pretty much says, well, how do you know? The same way you know. 
the letter. And you know she didn't write that letter because Chastain told you she didn't write that letter. And the chief plays this coy, you know, it's cat and mouse. And how would, de- how would uh, Detective Chastain know that? The typewriter. The fact of the matter that Chastain went to her and tried to bully her and try to get the typewriter to, so he can do a comparison. And pretty sure Chastain's not stupid. And he figured out that if, if, if Sylvia didn't write the letter, someone in his squad must have wrote the letter. And then he pulled the typewriter and made a comparison. Again, Michael got us. Because remember, he pulled it. Uh, well, we knew. I talked, to, I talked about, you know, the, the forensics that you can do with a typewriter and the evidence that you can gather from it. But again, Michael is not just going to let us go. He's going to show you, I gave you clues back in the day. I foreshadowed this right now, how important that typewriter was. So then Harry runs down the whole Moore saga about being a little boy. He crossed over. He couldn't cross back. And the whole thing that he, information he was, that he, as Harry, got from Moore in the tower about how Moore's father just kicked him out and all that kind of stuff. So he gets into it. And tells the chief, lays out everything to the chief. And one thing he does make mention is how Moore had a layered protection of the, the suit, the quote unquote suicide, the, the information that Moore might be a dirty uh, police officer, and then leaving that file in the back of his scout car for Harry to make it seem though it might be a homicide. So layer after layer, lever after lever, just in case that one. Theory didn't hold up. They might have another one. But one thing that Harry got, excuse me, that Michael got correct. And I love it from the book, pretty much saying he knew you. I witnessed the department at times worry about the image of the department or what's happening. What happened? And how can we mitigate the exposure? And sometimes those agendas cross each other. And sometimes they run side by side. And in that space, the sausage metaphor. People love sausage, but a lot of times people don't want to see how it's made. And in that space between what's best for the department and what's really true, what happened, that's that sausage making process in between. And again, one of the things I like is that noble man, Harry says to the chief after he runs down the investigation. So she's in the clear, I said, you know it and I know it. And if you make trouble for her, I'll make trouble for you. It wasn't a threat. It was an offer, a deal. Irvin considered it for a moment and nodded his head once. You know, just to follow up on something of interest that came up last podcast, again from the book, Boss thought about his meeting with Moore in the tower. He still hadn't decided whether Moore had been expecting him, even waiting for him, waiting for Harry to come kill him. He didn't think he'd ever know. That was classical Moore last mystery. Just like I said before, I think Moore was just tired. And if anyone did came or anyone did come, that's why he left the shotgun in the Envirobreed van. Because if he did come, grab the shotgun and then take me out because I'm tired of running. If no one did come, he was going to go and do, do his thing. You know, he had the passports, the different identification, the money, the whole nine yards.
ahead and take a quick break and go over the question of the day. And the question of the day comes from chapter 33 of the Black Eyes. And it reads, During a graveside chat, Chief Irving offers Harry any assignment he wants. Harry refused by saying, I wouldn't take anything from you. Do you agree with his choice? 88% of you says, yeah, stay true. 12% say, no, get in the game. And I made this question cut and dry. Yes or no, good or bad. But let's think about it. We're older now. I'm older and more experienced. I do understand the 12% of the people who said, no, no, get in the game. Play the game. Because Bosch actually is playing a game a little bit. Think about it. He's protecting, he's protecting Sylvia. He didn't let the chips fall as they may. He is in the game. And his silence is securing her and protecting her. That's part of playing the game. And I also would like to take an opportunity to once again thank you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're about to put down the last episode for The Black Ice, the second book. And <laughs> it's amazing, this journey, Re- reading these books, putting this podcast together. Like I said, putting my two passions together. It's a great retirement thing to do, and I'm having a lot of fun. I really appreciate everyone's feedback. I really appreciate you guys' patience. I went back, and I constantly do. I think I said I said this last podcast. I go back and listen to the old stuff just so I have a reference on try to get better for the next book, next episode, whatever, whatever in the future. I do see a marketable improvement and content and presentation. And I'm hoping that you guys have, you noticed it too. That's why you're still coming back and listening. And again, I'm just letting you know, I'm bringing this up because as I promised you from the very first time, I'm going to keep trying to get better and better at this thing. I can't believe we're about to put down the second book. 19 episodes, 19 podcasts. Well, can you just, yeah, let's stop guys. Let's, you guys have been with me for 19 podcasts, two books. And I love, I'm still having a great time. I, I still get nervous when I t- hit the switch for this mic to go live and putting things together. Sometimes it's hard for me not to um, change up too much. I want to keep it authentic because I've been making a lot of mistakes. I'm pretty sure you picked up on it. Uh, I kept the, um, redid the website a little bit, try to keep things fresh and make the content easier to get to. So again, thank you so much. Thank you again. And lastly, if you guys can be so kind to continue to spread the word around about the podcast, I know it's working because the subscribership is just going up more and more. So keep it going. Tell your friends and family to check us out and please tell them, you know, wherever they pick us up at, you know, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever they get the podcast to rate us five stars or better. And also to review. I mean, if you like what I'm doing, please say so. Or if you don't like it, so, you know, because I'm still getting some great emails. People have some great suggestions and I'm trying to incorporate that into the way I present this medium to you guys, this podcast to you. So I'm definitely... Um, responsive 
Uh, again, good, bad, or indifference. I, I don't believe it. Any feed, every feedback is good feedback. So please rate and review us and keep the comments coming. You know, like I always said, it sounds like I'm rambling. I feel like I'm rambling. So back to hitting the streets. And as we wrap this podcast up and as we get to the last chapter of the book of the Black Ice, we open up with Sylvia coming to um, Harry after the funeral is over. No one approaches her. She rebuffs Chief Irving, you know, playing the part, you know, of the grieving or the concerned chief. For me. Come on, chief. We, we know that's not her husband in the uh, coffin, but you, you playing your part. You know, you got to play your part. So she walks up to Harry and she talks to Harry and she says, uh, I see you. I see you took my advice. And here's like, what are you talking about? You know, the black ice, you know, to be, to be careful because you're here. And, you know, I'm going to say it again. That dog on Michael Connolly. He he got if they, OK, I'll read this passage again early on. In the in the in the book. Passage. This is a conversation that Harry and Sylvia had, was having when Harry was back in Michael um, in Moore's apartment, and you know he was he broke in illegally. Sylvia's there. And they had this conversation from the book. I remember my father teaching me to drive. He was always saying, "Watch out for the black ice, girl. You don't see the danger until you're in it. Then it's too late. You're sliding out of control, boy." Does that dog on sentence or that paragraph or those couple of sentences, does that take on a different meaning right now? I mean, that's what I said. That's what I mean, you got to, you got to, it's worth saying it over and over again. You got to respect Michael and his way of writing. Because that was a cute little couple of sentences that he, I thought at the time he threw it in. Because I'm, I'm focusing on the black ice as the drugs and all the things with the drugs. But if you go a little bit deeper, again, I picked up on it. Watch out for the black ice girl. You don't see the danger until you're in it. Then it's too late. You're sliding out of control. That summed up this whole book. You know, so look, look how, the, like, again, the light bulb you know, light bulb went off in my head. You're like, oh, wow. That just blew me away. I'm like, oh, shit. So like I said, I, I read that over and over again. I'm like, that dag on Michael Connolly, he did it again. Shit. <laughs> so I digress. And didn't you love, well, at least I did, because again, I told you I'm an eyes guy. First, it was, um, last book, it was Eleanor. This book, um, Sylvia, again, from the, from the book, he saw her eyes were very clear, and she seemed even stronger than the last time they had encountered each other. They were eyes that would not forget a kindness or a slight. <laughs> I've, I've, been on, I've been on the opposite end of those slight eyes before. <laughs> but I told you before, I'm an eyes guy. I believe in making eye contact. And, you know, right about now, this interaction between Sylvia and Harry, like I told you last podcast, 
the fact that that picture of Kyle Moore and his Rio was in a picture frame. The hairs on my back of my neck started going up a little bit. I'm like, please. Because, you know, I guess I'm a romantic at heart, too. The fact of the matter is that, well, let's just get into it. Sylvia asked, the, doing this portion of Harry and Sylvia together, she says something to the effect, you know, they won't tell me everything that happened, but hopefully one day you'll tell me everything. And then Harry comes back over the top. Well, maybe you'll tell me a few things, too. She says, such as, he said, the picture that was missing from the picture frame. You knew what it was, but you didn't tell me. And so then, Harry, then Sylvia says something back and forth, like, I didn't want to think about it. There were other pictures in the bag, so it really, it really wasn't that important. And Harry said, well, it was important. And then he says, you know, don't you? And she says that that wasn't my husband buried there. I had an idea, yes. I knew there was more than people were telling me, not you especially, others. So when Harry says, you know, don't you? And she comes back over the top and says, yeah, that's not my husband, they buried. Yeah, I had some idea. Of course she had an idea. that She knew about Zerio. She knew everything. She always do everything. Because we never really got into what happened between her and Kyle Moore to break him up. And I think this is what happened. She knew that uh, Calexico had crossed over. She just, and she couldn't be a part of it, but she wasn't going to throw him under the bus either because she knew about his dirty. I mean, you don't have, think about it. You have picture frames and pictures all over the place. Excuse me, not picture frames. You got pictures all over the place. And you got, uh, you know, Cal Moore and Zario hugged up together. She knew who Zario was because I'm pretty sure Cal told her, half brother. I mean, he was so hung up on the past. Of course, she told his wife about Zerio. And then take a rocket science to believe if you went dirty, you went dirty with your Mexican half brother. But she didn't tell no one that. She didn't tell Harry. She didn't tell the police department. None of that. She kept that buried deep within herself. Of course, she knew that Kyle had crossed over because it was the black ice over and over. It's the black ice over and over again. It's the danger. Uh, you don't see the danger until you're in it. Then it's too late. You're sliding out of control. That's what her father told her. That's the black ice all over and over again. Kyle didn't see the danger until he was in it. And then it was too late. He was sliding out of control. It's the black ice. And I think that's why Michael put that in. That dog on Michael Connolly, like I said, got me. Did he get you? And then, you know, we see Harry trusting Sylvia. Again, so, uh, again, from the book. There's something that I hope you would tell me, she said, either now or sometime, if you can. I mean, um, is, he, is there a chance that he'll be back? Bosch looked at her and slowly shook his head. He started her eyes for reaction, sadness, fear, or complicity. There was none. Think about that, that trust he has in her. That he now got at her because he didn't trust Irving to confirm or deny if more was ever coming back in that definitive way he just did with her. And again, we see Harry questioning for the hundredth time. You know, he keeps asking himself, what had been wrong with Calexico Moore to mess up something like this? 
And I told you before in the last podcast or whenever uh, what podcast it was, we re- referred to and talking about significant others and someone of Sylvia Moore's statute stature that you, if you get it, hold on to it. Don't let that type of person go. And again, lastly, from the book, as she walked back to him, she put her hands on his neck and pulled him into her. He went willingly. They kissed for a long time, and Bosch kept his eyes closed. When she let him go, he didn't look to see if any other people were watching. He didn't care. What is the right time, she said. In closing, that is a great line. Because in law enforcement, well, in life, but in life generally, but specific law enforcement, like I said before, you leave home not knowing if you're going to come back home or not. So when is a good time? So don't wait for the best time. That's what I got out of it. to this episode's Everyone Counts or No One Counts Person. And our Everyone Counts or No One Counts Person for chapters 33 through 34 is Sylvia Moore. Now, I went back and forth, you know, should I pick Carrie? Should I pick Sylvia? Because both of them just were phenomenal in these last two chapters. But I picked Sylvia for what she represents that gold star significant other tried and true be there for you ride or die significant other and I respect it because again I told you and I'm going to tell you anyone I said again any cop who can find someone like Sylvia Moore hold on tight don't let go (laughs) so my everyone counsel, no one counts person for chapters 33 through 34 is Sylvia Moore. Well, we did it. Two books down and much, much more to go. Wow. 19 episodes of the Thin Blue Line podcast. This is this is a lot of fun, guys. I'm having a lot of fun. So next up on the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, is the Concrete Blonde. Now, I'm a parent. And so parents out there, you can understand this, this metaphor. I love both my children. And But I love one child for one thing. I love another child for another thing. And just like Michael Connolly, just like my children, Michael Connolly's books, all Michael Connolly's books concerning Harry Bosch, I love them all. But I tell you right now, 
Listeners, hold on because we're going to have a lot of fun diving deep into the Concrete Blonde. It is going to blow your head away with some of the things that happen in this particular um, book. I'm not going to say much more because I told you I don't like I don't do spoilers, but you're going to want to stay tuned for the deep dive because there's a lot of great police content in this book. Oh my gosh, I'm 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 excited just talking to you guys about it. So, but again, thanks a lot for hanging in there with me. This is a lot of fun. I just can't believe it's two books down. Wow. Um, continue to subscribe on Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, or wherever you get your um, podcast. And again, don't forget to rate and review us. And also don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram, which I set up just for you fans. And like I said before, go to www.thethemperlinepod.com and I redid the website a little bit to make it flow a little bit easier now that we have more content because I did some great things. Look, I put up an investigative file folder with some good investigative reports in there as I come across some things that I think would be mildly interesting to you. So check it out. So go to the website and click on some things and hopefully you can be um, entertained. Again, thanks a lot for being patient with me and hanging in there with me. So I'm 10-7 for the remainder. See you next time. 